You're listening to a message from Mercy Culture Church, home of Pastor Landon and Heather Schott in Fort Worth, Texas. For more information about Mercy Culture and ways that you can be a part of it, visit mercyculture.com. I am Heather Schott, Pastor Heather Schott, a senior pastor of Mercy Culture Church. I'm so excited to bring the word this morning. The vision of Mercy Culture Church is this, that we take people from corporate encounters like this on Sunday to daily personal encounters. If you are new, a daily personal encounter means this, that you are having an intimate relationship with the Lord where you are hearing from the king every single day. You are in his presence every single day. I believe this is healing, this is deliverance, this is the answer for the body of Christ to truly tear down religion, but to walk in daily intimate relationship with Jesus. So if you have not gone through MC Connect before, we really, really encourage you, if you are feeling that stirring, that this this is home, and you've been coming for a while, you get to learn more about the vision and the values, how this house uh, was birthed, and uh, it's not just membership, it's discipleship, and so that beautiful video that you got to watch on meditation from one of our intercessors, Sue Ann, got to share how she best connects with God, and honestly, this is revolutionary in your walk with Jesus, your personal relationship with him because instead of comparing with somebody else how you uh, don't connect with the Lord and think that you are a worse Christian or not as good of a Christian because you don't connect uh, with God how they do, you really get freed by getting to go uh, through this test, not a scary test, but this assessment to see how you best connect with the Lord. And um, honestly, personally for me in taking this test, it has revolutionized my walk with the Lord. And so we really encourage you to take the time to go through MC Connect to get planted in the house of the Lord so you will flourish. Amen? Okay, so this month we are uh, focusing on what we call Heart for Mercy. Again, if you are new, maybe you haven't experienced this with us before, but you will notice today that we do not take time to take up tithes and offerings in this service. We believe that this is just a part of our obedient walk with Christ. The word of God says to tithe, to bring our 10%, so that's what we do, amen? And so people get to do that all week long. When, when they get their check, they just immediately tithe. But one time a year, we take up a special offering with no manipulation, it's just a beautiful thing that we bring unto the Lord. We call it Heart for Mercy. And it happens every March. It's happening the last Sunday of this month. And all of the, the uh, money that comes in for this offering this year is going towards our housed visions. Our housed visions, um, like the justice reform, is basically uh, ministries in this house that are planted in the house of the Lord, one foot in and one foot out, meaning they are reaching outside of the body of Christ. And so there is eight and a half million dollars in needs for all of these different housed uh, vision ministries from CCA, the, the new change that we're making into MC uh, prep and a lot of work that needs to be done at the school that hasn't been done in a long time, the justice residences like you saw. Come on. And so today, I would love to just specifically highlight the justice residences so that you know this project is going to be the justice residences is a long-term restoration home for women rescued out of human trafficking. It will house up to 100 women. 
This is so beautiful, you guys. This literally means it's going to be the first of its kind in America right here in Fort Worth on this property. So, so beautiful. So our sheriff that you saw in that video came out to the groundbreaking ceremony last week. And he's been such an incredible uh, support to us from the very, very beginning. But he said, Heather, we need this right now. And he shared with everybody that came that he said, we did a sting operation and we rescued 80 girls. And it's a beautiful thing. That's the praise report. But here's the truth. And this is why we're building these. Is there was nowhere for these women to go. And the majority of time when there's no safe place for them to go, they end up back being trafficked because they have nothing. They have no means. They have no way to be healed and restored, to know how to fill out an application and to live a normal life after the level of abuse that they have been through. And so the justice residences literally equals hope and freedom in this realm, which is really modern day slavery. And you guys, we're not going to stop building one here. We are going to build these across Texas, across America and into the nations. Come on, so this is just the beginning. Five million dollars is nothing. We're gonna need multi, hundreds of millions of dollars that I believe God is going to provide because God is jealous for a great harvest for sons and daughters being set free and it's our responsibility to set the captives free, amen, to bind up the brokenhearted. And so we we really wanna just encourage you to ask the Lord. There's, not, there's gonna be no manipulation, no games, no this scripture says this number and this is what you have to sow to get your blessing here, okay? We've all heard in church before. What we're asking is that you would just go to the Lord. You, you uh, your, your spouse, your family, you as an individual and ask the Lord, what am I supposed to give? And sometimes he speaks big numbers, but I'm gonna minister to the, on that today of what that means. Um, and it's a beautiful thing, again, that we do once a year in building the body of Christ and making sure that we are reaching outside of the house of the Lord, amen? So uh, uh, speaking of that, um, we, the justice reform is, I'm sorry, the justice residences, we will be having these women that are coming in um, to have about one to three years of restoration and a lot of them will have children. And so we are actually training up you guys that feel called to be what we call host families. So instead of fostering, um, it's host families. We're doing this through an organization that's called Safe Families. We are partnering uh, with them and we are hosting our first training on the same day as Heart for Mercy on March 27th here after church from three to seven um, on a Sunday. So if this is something that makes your heart leap that says, I would love to be a host family for a child, it's not adoption, it's hosting, it's stewarding the life of that child while mom is being restored, we would love for you to be a part of this training. You can text the word safe families to the number that is on the screen. Amen. Okay. Also, if you want the notes for this morning's message, you can text notes to the mercy culture number that is now going to be on the screen. And that's where you can get all the notes for this morning. I want to remind you, hopefully I'm not reminding you, hopefully every single day you are praying First Chronicles 4.10 as a family and as an individual. Uh, the Lord declared and he spoke over this house um, that it was a year of expanding territory. 
How many of you are, are walking in this prophetic word, right? You are petitioning Lord to, to expand territory through your businesses, through your household, your children, all, all of the different things that God spoke. I challenge you, if you have not listened to that message from the beginning of this year, to go back and listen. Um, but I, w- I want to say it over you this morning, First Chronicles 4.10, I declared over you this morning, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my border or my territory and that your hand might be with me with me and that you would keep me from harm or evil so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what, we asked, what he asked. I love the last part, and God granted what he asked. And so as you pray this, I wanna encourage you to pray it with faith. Pray it and believe that God is granting the request of your family in expanding ter- territory for the kingdom of heaven, Amen. Well, this morning I am ministering on a message called Stewarding Revival. We'll be in Ezekiel. We're starting off in Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones. You can read along with me. It says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by his spirit, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me all around among them, and I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, and indeed they were very dry. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones come to life? Oh Lord God, I replied, only you know. And he said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and tell me. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will come to life. And I will attach tendons to you and make flesh grow upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath within you so that you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, there was suddenly a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And as I looked on, tendons appeared on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and tell the breath that this is what the Lord God says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain so that they may live. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he had commanded me, and the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look, they are saying our bones are dried up, for our hope has perished. We are cut off. So therefore prophesy and tell them that this is what the Lord God says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves and bring you up from them, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them and I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle in you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Came to tell you this morning that when you receive his spirit, you also receive the mandate to steward Revival. Come on, a revival expands territory. Pray with me this morning. 
So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you abide in this place. And when your power and your presence, when your authority reigns, every other spirit but the Holy Spirit has to bow or go. So we say to every demonic spirit, spirit of Jezebel, witchcraft, you have no authority. Spirit of lawlessness, lying spirits and tongues, you have no authority in this house. So we declare bow or go in the name of Jesus. I thank you that every distraction that came in right, right, right this morning today to bind up your people, to cause confusion so that they could not receive the word and the message. We place you back under our feet where you belong and we declare, devil, you're a liar and you have no authority. So this morning, we submit ourselves to the highest authority. You, King Jesus, we submit our minds our thoughts, our hearts, our passions, our desires, our marriages, ourselves, our children, every single part of us, God, we submit to you this morning and we say, would you have your way and your will in this place? We declare, speak, Lord, your servants are listening in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So revival expands territory. This is the definition of stewardship. Landon preached on this a couple weeks ago as he was releasing uh, the new value of mercy culture, of stewardship, and he ministered on it. Again, another message I challenge you to listen to you if you have not already. Here is the definition of it. Stewardship is managing the kingdom's resources for the father's business. The heart's cry of a good steward is this. It will never be mine. It will always be yours. And when given the choice between an ownership or employment mentality, we choose the third option, stewardship. Think of that from a revival perspective because this is the definition of revival. Revival, dictionary.com actually defines it as this restoration to life or an awakening in a church or community vocabulary.com. See, I love reading these because they're secular websites. Vocabulary.com defines it as this. Revival literally means to come back to life. And they put it this way, that an ER doctor might perform a revival on someone whose heart has stopped, or we usually use it to mean return to glory, importance, or strength. Biblically, it's defined as this. It breaks it down to the root word revive. Revive is the Hebrew translation of hayah. Kind of sounds like, you know, hayah. (laughs) Hebrew means revive. And it means this, to live or to cause to live. And it's used in the form of restoration to life. And revive also occurs in the New Testament as a translation of anazao, And this is Greek, and it means this, to live again. So this is really beautiful because it points out Romans 14, 7 through 9, where this word, anazao, is used. And let's just read this portion of scripture. In Romans 14, 7 through 9, it says this, For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, 
we belong to the Lord. For the reason Christ died and returned to life, which is that word, return to life, anazao, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. I love this because it's the definition of stewardship. It literally says we are not our, our own, whether we live or we die, but we belong to the Lord. So this same word, anazao, where it it is used when Christ died and returned to life is also found in 2 Timothy 1.6. And it says this, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame or enazao, the gift of God. So the same word used in Christ being brought back to life is the same word that says the life or the flame that is in you begin to fan it and it awakens revival within you. Come on, the greatest moment of revival that we see in the word of God is God conquering the grave, dying and then being revived and coming back to life. When this took place, there was revival okay? The spirit of revival that was made and offered up for all of us. I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but here in this, in the same second Timothy one, six, when it says fan into flame, it actually translates to, to stir kind of what pastor Nikki was talking about at the beginning of the syrup to stir or to kindle up a fire. See, stewardship is managing the kingdom's resources, managing revival, the price that Christ already paid for it to live and dwell within us. This means that revival is not ours. Revival is his. See, I've seen too many times in churches, they've tried to bottle up revival like it's that anointing oil or something that Landon was preaching about last week and sell revival. See, a lot of our mindsets, I wanna change your idea of what revival is this morning. Revival is not a special service or an event to attend to. See, revival is not something we advertise to grow my personal platform or to grow our churches or to sell more books. But this is what we have seen in the body of Christ is we just put revival service or conference on something so that we would bring people to us. Can I tell you this morning that revival was never meant to glorify us or grow our churches or sell our books. Revival was meant to steward a great harvest for the coming king. Revival was meant for the masses. Revival wasn't meant for the four walls of a church. In fact, revival births reformation. Real fruit from a revival doesn't stay within a church, but it hits the streets and it awakens those dry bones. Why? So that we can post and say how great these healings are taking place at our church. No! Come on, so that his name can be glorified and made famous in the earth. This is the point to revival. Revival is not ours. See, I believe this is the reason why the church hasn't stewarded revival is because they haven't stewarded the flame within them. 
It's all been about a service or an event that we're trying to put together. And if enough people scream in a microphone or give the giving lines or shake the tambourines loud enough, we can strum up revival. Revival, though, is not an event that we plan. Revival lives in you. Revival is the flame that is already in within you that has to be fanned. So this is how we walk and steward revival outside of our daily encounters. Our daily encounters is how we steward it. But there has to be a heart posture that every time we come into our daily encounter, these two things are present. And the first one is this. It is humility. We find it in 1 Kings 19, 14, and 18. And this is right after Elijah calls down fire from heaven says, Elijah is saying this to the Lord, complaining to the Lord. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. He replied, but the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I am the only one left, and they are seeking my life as well. See, Elijah begins to say, I'm the only one left that's righteous, God. I'm the only one calling down fire from heaven. I'm the only one carrying your revival, Lord. But this is God's answer. Oh, Elijah, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. See, I've seen this mistake that the church has made, that all of the sudden revival breaks out and we're the only ones and all of the sudden pride comes in to quench a movement that God wants to do through his body. I came to tell you this morning that mercy culture, we are not the only presence-driven church. We are not the only church that loves Yahweh, that worships passionately, that is passionate about bringing the kingdom of heaven to the earth. We cannot act like in forward that we are the only ones that are righteous, the only ones crying out for revival. That is the very sound, that is the very temptation that the enemy wants us to believe. As if we become the picture for other churches to become instead of keeping our eyes on the perfect one of who we are supposed to become. We have to stay humble. Hearing from him consistently, stewarding not our revival, but his revival in the earth. This is pride. See, the moment our eyes come off of what he is doing and on what we are doing, or even what we are doing for him, he will have to find other vessels and he will find other vessels to pour through. See, do you know right after this, Elijah complaining to the Lord, saying he was the only one left. God gave him his succession plan. Right after this moment, he said, go and anoint Elijah, and here's A, B, and C, all the rest of my plans. You're done, Elijah? Okay, because I heard you just start to complain and take that glory for yourself. Come on, we can love Jesus passionately today, but the temptation of pride will come tomorrow. 
And we have to stay a humble and lowly people so that the revival that pours out through us is continual from generation to generation. That we leave a legacy for our children to be raised in the spirit of revival. Isaiah 57, 14 through 15 is labeled this, comfort for the contrite. And it shall be said, build up. Build up, prepare the way. Sounds like Pastor Jasmine's message. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. Do you think he wants to make it clear that he's the one who's high and lifted up? And then he says this, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, I will revive them, or I will bring revival to the spirit of the lowly, or what? Those who are humble in spirit, and to revive the heart of the contrite, or to bring revival to those whose hearts are humble. Church, we are called to stay low, to give him all of the glory so that we would not get in the way of what God wants to do through us. The second way is this, hunger. I believe that either God will continue famines and droughts or the body of Christ can awaken and that a sound of intercession and worship can be released that shows God, despite the blessing on our land, that we are continually in a state that hungers for more of him hungers more for him, not every Sunday, but every single day of the week, that we hunger for more of his presence, more of his glory, more of his direction, more of who he is. First Kings 18, 15 says this, go back. This is before now fire fell from heaven with Elijah. And after a long time in the third year of the drought, Three years of no rain. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the face of the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria and Ahab summoned Obadiah who is in charge of the palace. Now Obadiah greatly feared the Lord for when Jezebel had slaughtered the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them. 50 men per cave, providing them with food and water. I just want to point this out real quick because I believe God is calling us to steward prophetic words in our house. Uh, He's highlighted that to me in this stewardship word and I preached on the fear of the Lord. Landon preached last week on the answer to the spirit of mammon, us to being free of it is the fear of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that Ahab you utilized and called Obadiah a man of God who feared the Lord after this portion of scripture it says that he sent him out to go find the streams and rivers to keep the livestock alive he began he was sent out by an evil ruler to go and expand territory where he runs into Elijah the solution to end the famine I'm telling you I believe that the fear of the Lord is the answer to the body of Christ Freedom, healing, deliverance, salvation, expanding territory. It is the fear, keeping with the fear of the Lord. 
So when we see this drought and famine, obviously we go to the word of God and we, we immediately look to Jezebel and Ahab and how evil of rulers they are. And we assume that this is potentially why the drought and famine continued. But I believe it's something different. I believe that the famine was so severe and continued because of the people's response. See, we like to blame things on leadership, but God is looking not to leaders. He is looking to the body of Christ to lead. Verse 20 to 21 says this, so Ahab summoned all the Israelites and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all of the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people did not answer a word. And I believe that the body of Christ in this last couple of years, we found, a lot of us found ourselves in this place where maybe if I just stay in the middle and I, I serve and I worship God passionately on Sunday, but then everything that our government and world is telling me to do the rest of the week to make sure that my life is easy, to make sure I don't lose my job and I don't know how to pay the bills and to make sure that my kids don't get kicked out of school, that I make sure that I listen to what they're saying and I stay in this real cozy comfort place called the middle or what God calls it lukewarm state. And this is what Elijah was calling out in the Israelites. How long will you waver back and forth, back and forth? He said today, if you want to serve them, fine, but make your choice today. Why? Because God is paying attention. I believe we are in a season now that God is paying attention. There is a sifting that is taking place of not who am I going to serve, and then that covers you, but each one of us have to make the choice. Who will we serve? See, when you lose your fear of the Lord, you lose your hunger for the Lord. And that is the setup to caving into the world's intimidations and tactics. So it caused the people, the leadership, to begin to be intimidated, this place of wavering, and they begin to stop worshiping their king, stop fanning that flame, and they gave in to the ways of their culture. But God in his mercy sent the fire and the rain. In 1 Kings 18, 23 through 28, go with me to there. It says, let the prophets of Baal choose one bowl for themselves, cut it into pieces, and place it on the wood but do not light the fire. Can you say, but do not light the fire? Come on, do not light the fire. And I will prepare the other bowl and place it on the wood, but do not light the fire. Then you may call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl that was given them, they prepared it, and they began to call on the name of Baal from morning until noon, shouting, oh, Baal, answer us says this, but there was no sound and no one answered as they leaped around the altar they had made. 
Verse 28, so they shouted louder and they cut themselves with knives and lances as was their custom until blush gushed out all over them. I want to lean into this place, mercy culture, that all noise doesn't carry authority. Stop being moved by the noise through your television through your news, through radio stations, through newspapers. Stop letting your emotions be moved, your decisions to be made based upon the noise of the world that is powerless. Yeah, they carry intimidation, they carry fear, but they don't carry his power. See, I believe that we are called to listen to what God is saying amongst the noise. See, this is an ability that Christians have, that it can be noisy all around, but all of a sudden we hear those whispers like Elijah heard, because I believe that Christians have backed off in a false humility, as if it is the polite thing to do to just move into the world's ways. We have, we have twisted or distorted scriptures, really. And, and maybe some preachers on YouTube have, I sound like my husband right now, um, have distorted scriptures in your ear that yes, we are supposed to pray and honor leaders. Yes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But nowhere in my word says that I have to bow to evil leadership. In fact, we see the very opposite. We see a man named Daniel that said, I refuse to bow to you, king. In fact, you can go ahead and throw me in the lion's den, but I refuse to obey this law. We see Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that says, we refuse to bow. Go ahead and throw me in the fiery furnace. I know he's real whether he saves me or he doesn't. There was a woman named Esther that went before the king that wasn't supposed to go unless she was mission too. In fact, it was the death penalty if you went to the king without being summoned, but she went anyway. And not only was her life saved, but an entire generation was saved. We see people like Peter, John, Paul standing up before the Sanhedrin saying, go ahead and tell me not to preach Jesus all day long, but I don't fear you. I obey this man named Jesus. Nowhere in the word of God does it tell us to conform to world's ways, to obey laws that conflict with the word of God. We have to shut out the noise of the world. Come on, it is witchcraft. It is witchcraft and it comes through accusation. I'm probably getting ahead of myself right now, but it comes through accusation. It tries to tell you, no, you're too old. No, you're too young. No, you're female. You can't do that. No, you're male. You're, no, you're black. You're brown. You're white. You can't do this. You don't, have, you don't have this degree. You can't go and teach this. You can't go minister this word. You haven't gone through Bible college. Who are you? You were just saved yesterday. This spirit comes to accuse the body of Christ. And then all of a sudden, those witchcraft words get on you. And you begin to operate in a lie. 
because we have not resisted the lies of our culture and this witchcraft, this accusatory spirit that comes to put the body of Christ in bondage. It's time to break off the false humility and for boldness to arise in the body of Christ. This is why I believe part of the prophetic word in the year of expanding territory can I have some of my monitors? The year of expanding territory is for us to get loud. To get loud because the church has been too quiet. And I believe it's a time that God is releasing authority. Not to just leaders in the body of Christ. No, to the body of Christ, to you. To stand firm and to speak the truth. See, the book of Acts church was that church. They prayed and asked for boldness to preach the gospel. No matter what happened to them, they defied the laws and regulation of their time to obey God instead of man. They were thrown into prison over and over. They were beaten and flogged and they said that they counted it as a joy as a joy. So it's interesting if we go back to our scripture in verse 29 when they're going on and raving and crying out to Baal, it says this, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. See, when there's noise with no authority and no power, nobody should be paying attention. That means the noise of the world, church, if it's had your attention, rep repent to the Lord and get that witchcraft, get those lies off of you. Because when noise happens out there, we are called to keep our eyes here and to pay no attention. No attention to that fear they're putting through our TVs and our radios. No fear of what they're putting through our curriculums, but to stand first, firm in truth. Verse 30 says this, and Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people approached him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. I believe that the Lord has been preparing mercy culture in the last couple of years for a great outpouring, for a revival for this to be a house of revival because revival takes the teaching of the word of God and then that brings the revelation and the understanding of the word of God to the people and then that births repentance in the people. We see it over and over in great reformers like Hezekiah, Josiah, when, when, when it was all a mess but they found the word of God and they began to what? They began to read, Nehemiah did also, read the word of God and then the people began to tear their clothes, they began to repent and weep because the truth was setting them free. So what was their next response after repentance? They begin to tear down the idols and rebuild the altars of God. Does anybody remember the prophetic messages of last year from Landon on rebuilding altars in our home, in our businesses? God has been preparing this as a house of revival because when the altars are rebuilt to the Lord, see those are the places that a pure sound of worship and intercession moves heaven to pour out. 
So verse 31 says this, and Elijah took the 12 stones, one for each tribe of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come and said, Israel shall be your name. And with these stones, Elijah built an altar to the name of the Lord. And it says that he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. Does anybody remember the word of the Lord from Pastor Jeremy to dig ditches and trenches for the pour out, for the overflow that was coming? Man, God has been preparing this house for overflow. See, these ditches were to hold the water that they are about to pour over the altar, all of the overflow. God is bringing overflow, but I can't, can't get ahead. That in just a second. Hold on, Holy Spirit. Okay. So it says this. So they poured out a second time, a third time. They pour in the water out, and then Elijah begins to intercede. And it says, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things. He begins to steward himself saying, let it be known that I am your servant, that you have done this. And as he says that, verse 38 says, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water in the trench. And when all of the people saw this, they fell down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, He is God. Thousands of people in this moment of this outpouring, this moment of revival, their hearts were turned back to the Lord. And then the Bible says that God sends that revival rain. In fact, it said that Elijah could hear the sound of a heavy rain coming. See, revival releases a sound that silences the noise and ends famines. Did you hear what I just said? Revival releases a sound that silences the noise and ends famines. But see, there's a difference between Old Testament revival and New Testament revival. Do you remember when I had you say over and over, do not light the fire? See, they could not light the fire because the fire hadn't been given through the Holy Spirit yet. They had to wait and call down and cry out for that fire. But it's interesting in Acts 2, 1 through 4, after Christ gives his life, dies on a cross, and then is revived, comes back to life. Then he sent the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, 1 through 4, that says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And it says this, that they saw tongues like flames of fire, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, on this day of Pentecost, there was this beautiful exchange, the best gift we could ever receive is the body of Christ where Jesus ascended. And he said, I'm leaving you with something greater, my spirit. He had already conquered life and revived. So when he gave and filled us with his spirit, he filled us with his spirit of revival. This is why we don't have to wait on a fire or wait on revival. We just have to stir up the flame. We just have to stir up revival within us. Church, you are carriers of revival. We're going to fan that flame today. I'll tell you this one thing that has not changed from the beginning of time today is the name of the Lord being forbidden. 
We see that in Elijah's time all the way into the book of Acts today. The name of the Lord forbidden, yet it did not change their boldness or their faith in God. Acts 4, 13 through 21, it says this. See, Peter and John, right before this moment, are thrown into jail. And it's titled, The Name Forbidden. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they marveled and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Does anybody get excited? Can we just pause right here really quick? Because when your accusers come, when you begin to step out in boldness and faith to expand territory and family wants to mock or friends want to challenge you or call you crazy for this newfound faith, this newfound fire and stirring that is within you, this is the scripture that you must show them. Look, it doesn't matter what my background is. It doesn't matter what earthly knowledge I carry. I have been with Jesus. I am filled with the one that conquered death. I am filled with the spirit of revival. Stop believing the lies of your accusers, church. Stop believing the lies. Don't allow the accusations to become interrogations. Did you hear what I just said? We have walked in right with the enemy into that four wall room and we have sat down with our accuser and allowed him to interrogate us. Why have you given that authority to the enemy? You don't have to defend yourself. Stop giving time to your accusers. Look, I am not going to defend myself. I am not going to defend the word of God when it comes to the justice residences and they want to tell me, oh, you know what? It's okay as long as you believe in Jesus. Just make sure you don't bring Jesus there. It's okay if you read your Bible at home. That's so sweet that you have faith in God. Just make sure that the curriculum isn't the word of God. Make sure it's our man-made curriculum. Because we know trauma better. We heal trauma. Jesus, he doesn't heal trauma. This is the type of stuff. This is the type of accusations, witchcraft, that all of the sudden Christians start backing up into our corners because now they begin to put us in our place, back into a, a backed up interrogation room to convince us of what God already declared over us. Church, would you stop? Walking into an interrogation room with the enemy and with accusations. He has placed truth within you that sets the captives free. You need nothing else but then the Holy Spirit that fills you with his gifts. With a fire. That is what the world is craving. Verse 14 says, and seeing the man who had healed standing there with him. See, I love this. Now they're standing before the Sanhedrin, and not by themselves. They're standing there with the healed man. It says this, they had nothing to say in response. So they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What shall we do with these men, they asked. It is clear to everyone living in Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem's a big city, y'all. It says one miracle made God's name famous. One miracle. Do you know what your testimony, what your story, what your healing can do in the city of Fort Worth when you begin to walk in a boldness to be a herald of the goodness of God? It is clear to everyone living in Jerusalem that a remarkable miracle has occurred through them. And we cannot deny it. But to keep this message from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in this name. I just feel like I'm supposed to declare today over you. We refuse to let them take away his name. I declare over mercy culture. I declare over the justice reform. I declare over this movement in government through for liberty and justice. I declare through Axel, through distinct business, through education, they will not remove his name. Come on, there has to be a stance that we take as believers and Christians. That when they say remove his name, there is no negotiation. The negotiation is over. His name will not be removed from this house, from your houses, from schools, from this house for these women. It is his name that sets them free. They will not take away his name says this in verse 18, then they called him and again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God. I just declare faith to rise in the, in the room this morning. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And you want to know what they did? They let them go because they couldn't find a way to punish them. Because all of the people, it says, were glorifying God for what had happened. This is why you can't fall into the temptation. <gasps> what if this happens if I do this and I don't listen to them? When you begin to walk in the authority of heaven. You know, the book of Acts talks about prison doors flinging open, earthquakes being sent to set Paul and others free out of prisons. When you carry, when you carry his business, his works, his revival, and that's all you care about. Doesn't matter what, whether you're a nurse, doctor, or a teacher, but you're just a carrier of, of his revival into all of those realms. Nothing can lock you up because you carry his spirit within you, which brings me when we steward revival, we will see the fruit of revival. And the first one is that revival removes prison walls and doors. What are the prison walls and doors? It is deliverance, it is healing, it is the accusations, it is the lies, it is the religion, it is all the things that have kept you bound from doing what Christ has called you to do. I had a vision and I saw the prison doors. They didn't just fling open. They flung off the hinges so that the hinges broke so the doors could never be placed back on again. I believe that there is a time that we are in right now that God is setting his sons and daughters free 
with a holy and righteous justice that I declare over you, you will not go back into your past. I declare that you will go from glory to glory to glory because the prison doors of religion, I declare, cannot keep the church in prison. The confinement of accusation, threats can't stand because revival breaks down those walls. And we see this happen in Acts 5, 17 through 42. It's interesting. It says that the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. So they went out and arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out saying, go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. God removes them supernaturally out of the prison and the apostles notice don't go running for fear of their life. They march right back in the temple courts and start preaching his name and the truth again. This is what I believe getting loud looks like this year. You can try to lock me up. You can try to print as many articles as you want. Fort Worth Weekly and Washington Post. As many as you want. But you're not going to shut us up. Come on, because the spirit of revival and it's just begun reigns in each one of us. Come on, that is freedom. That is freedom. I love this. It says, then someone came in and announced, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts and they're teaching the people. So they have the audacity to come back and say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. And he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem. Come on. Declare we would fill Fort Worth. We would fill DFW with his teaching and that we would make them determine. It says, to make us responsible for this man's blood. But Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. This is the truth, church, we have to carry, is we obey God. What he says, it's why church, the elders and leaders prayed at the beginning of covid Nobody had ever pastored through a pandemic before. So we all laid out on Landon's floor in his office. We just laid on the floor and heard. We waited about five to 10 minutes and all of a sudden, one by one, began to speak what the Lord was saying. And it was perfect unity. The Lord said, open up my house, keep it open, bring the children in. It's what God said. So despite what they were saying, we obeyed God. This is what we must do despite the pressure or an intimidation of the world. See, church, we have to stop submitting to the options, to the equations that the world gives us for success. If we don't want that fruit, Why would we take their equation if we don't like what the end is? I look at the world and I I see chaos. I see brokenness. I see division. That's not the fruit that I want. In this anti-human trafficking realm, I see the problem getting worse. More girls not being healed. More girls being released back into slavery. That's not the equation or success story I want. So why would I take their equation instead of his? 
We have to be a people that hear heaven's solutions and equations so that revival can come. See, God is in control. And lawless leaders create the best times for revival. Lawless leaders create the best times for revival. We get so nervous about the evil in leadership that takes place around us. But revival is the time where mercy for broken souls come. But justice comes. Divine heavenly justice comes on evil leaders. We have seen it throughout the word of God. It's why we can't put our fear in an evil leader. Where Pharaoh with Moses, his son was put to death. Plague after plague came to destroy the city that he ruled in. Ahab and Jezebel's blood was licked up by dogs. Herod the Great was eaten alive by worms when he took the glory from God. Nebuchadnezzar, an evil leader, was driven into the wilderness to eat grass like oxen for years. Saul threw himself on a sword. Sodom and Gomorrah had fire that rained down and burned it down. Why would we put our fear in evil leadership when God throughout the word of God dealt with evil leaders? It is the time for the body of Christ to rise with authority and boldness that brings freedom and revival, that sound of freedom to a hurt and broken world. See, revival breaks the rules. I love that about revival. Acts 5.33 says this. I love this form, this scripture. So again, Peter and them, they're, they're back in jail. They're sent in again in Acts 5. And it says that they're completely enraged to put the apostles to death. And so all of a sudden, one of the Pharisees, a very well-known one, stands up. And he gives this speech to the whole council. And he says this. So in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or endeavor is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. Some of you didn't know that your faith was going to rise like this this morning, but I believe that this is, again, an echo that we have to remember the times that we are in. Come on. When, when the world begins to rise, and to, I mentioned the articles earlier, when they begin to put all of these crazy things out uh, through, through Fort Worth Weekly and these different, um, you know, I think it was the Washington Post, I can't even remember because I don't follow and I don't listen and I don't read them. But here's the thing, the warning or the intercession in me wants to begin to pray for those writing these articles thinking that they're stirring up something to stop a bad thing when they're not stopping a man or a woman of God, but they could find themselves in opposition to what God is doing in the earth, which happens to be their creator too. And I believe that this should be a fear within us as we attack other churches. We attack other Christians. We attack other leaders. We watch other people that curse and talk bad on YouTube about other preachers. Are we aligning ourselves to 
be in opposition against God by mocking or slandering God's herald and mouthpieces. Do you feel that fear of the Lord? But this is how they answered. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they released them. But the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. And every day in the temple courts from house to house, they did not stop teaching and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Revival breaks the rules, church. But you have to be a church that is fanning that flame to hear what God is saying. Because it is not the sake for lawlessness or arrogance or pride, but it is because God begins to make his name famous in the earth to those that think they can remove his name, his message, his power from the earth, from schools, from businesses, from churches and families. If we could just hold off for one second. So many Christians... I believe that would have fallen into this ruling that the name of Jesus was forbidden. Yet God supernaturally broke them out of prisons, shipwrecks, snake bites, and all kinds of wild situations because they were bold for the name of Jesus. They were loud with truth and the spirit of revival. The second thing, revival brings overflow. Acts 4, 32 through 37 says this, that no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. In fact, it says they shared everything that they owned. And it says that there was no needy ones among them because those who owned lands or houses would sell their property, bringing the proceeds from the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet for distribution to anyone that had need. And Acts 2.47 says, when this movement, when this revival was taking place, that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The picture that the Lord gave me to explain this to you was this rushing river, this stream. This is what God will do in revival to create overflow in your personal life, is that God will release a certain amount of resources or finances. And then he causes us, he tells us to give like moments like this for heart for mercy. Maybe it's somebody on the side of the road that your flesh says, oh, but they did this wrong, so they don't deserve this. But God says, give them everything that's in your wallet. Because it's not about the person. It's not about the offering. It's not about the situation. What God is getting us to be is, is to be that our first nature would be his vessel which means that God could pour in so that he could pour out. And that when we begin to pour out, God just dumps more. And then we pour out. And then he dumps more resources and more finances because they obeyed and they poured out. They broke through in mammon. They broke through in stewardship. They broke through in obedience. They broke the fear of money and mammon off. And so now I can entrust them as a flowing stream, as a river of overflow so that I can give them more than what they can contain. Because every time I, I ask them to give here, to give here, they obey. So I trust this vessel, so therefore I pour out 
overflow into this vessel. See, in revival, there's a stream or a river that begins to flow in each of your lives, but also through the body of Christ, through power and provision. Just to clarify, you don't have to fear where it's coming from because a river is consistently flowing. So as you pray in how to give into heart for mercy, come on, deal with mammon and fear first so that you can hear from his throne room and you can pour out so that he can bring overflow because revival brings overflow of his presence, power, salvations, healing, provision, miracles, signs, and wonders. Overflow. Overflow means that the famine and the drought is over. And the third thing is this, that revival brings life. This brings us back to the beginning, Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. It's just talking about streams and rivers. And it's interesting that it says a valley of dry bones because a valley is the places of streams and rivers. I believe it was prophetic that God placed the dry bones in the valley because the valley is known as the place for living water, streams, and rivers. And actually, valley in Hebrew means this, baka, to break open or to break through. This is a prophetic picture. I believe the body of Christ, this awakening, this life, this revival that is coming to your households and houses across America. It's interesting because the form that he comes in is he mentions in verse 6 that I will attach tendons to you and make flesh grow upon you. So look up what a tendon is. A tendon is a cord of strong, flexible tissue similar to a rope. Tendons connect your muscles to your bones. A tendon serves to bring movement to the body. Tendons bring movement. So the bones bring structure. The tendon brings forth movement. And then it says this, I will put breath within you so that you will come to life. So the breath brings the life. Therefore, reviving the dead or bringing revival to the army. See, it's interesting that tendons bring movement, but movement is purposeless without the breath of God or the whole Spirit, and I believe for far too long that there has been solutions or movements that try to come forth without the breath of God or the life of God or revival behind the movement. The Fort Worth Weekly article said this. See, God gave me this word on Thursday, which is awesome. The article came out Friday, and they said this, that any movement that is founded on exclusion will find in the end that it has a shorter than expected shelf life. I'm sorry to tell you for Weirworth Weekly, but any movement without the breath of God is the movement that will die and not live, that will not go on. It's the movements with the life of God with the power of God that goes from glory to glory. Come on, we have no plan of a shelf life or sitting on a shelf. Come on, our plan is to stir up those flames of fire. Our plan, come on, is is those embers. Ah. 
there's no sin on a shelf. It's just going to be a stirring, a consistent stirring. Or there's coals that are still hot because of his goodness and his mercy. Add a little bit of that wood, a little bit of that presence. And then everybody around you, your friends, your family, all of a sudden you start bringing that wind, that breath of God. And you start fanning that flame, that wildfire, and you start fanning that flame to the person on your right, the person on your left, your mom and your dad, your children, your co-workers, and all of a sudden that little flame in them, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. All of a sudden that little tiny flame starts growing because you've just been fanning that flame. And the next thing you know, a few months later, There's fires around me. There's fires around this room. There's fires around Forward. All of the sudden, what started off as small fires that we just begin to stir turned into a wildfire. You want to know what happens when a wildfire takes off in Forward? All of the sudden, pastors and people in other cities, Canada, love hearing what's happening in Connor's parents' house. They gather 25 people to watch the services and the Holy Ghost fills this house. You want to know what happens when we stir, when we fan the flame and forward that wildfire begins to catch in cities across America. And all of a sudden we see reports where the Herald and Fort Worth Weekly can't help but to testify of the revival This is the power that you carry as the body of Christ to speak to those dry bones. You know what happens to dry things? They catch on fire! We hope you've enjoyed this message from Mercy Culture Church. If this podcast has blessed you, we'd like to encourage you to share it with a friend. To learn more about us, find us on social media and online at mercyculture.com. 